there was one bit where I have the mountains reflecting into the water, which it's just, just it's just magical, magical. And that that one image is what really got me into um, doing photography in a way that um, I was wanted, which is to capture the moment. And and it was just the start of the digital era, and I sort of grew up because um, the digital era really helped me because you can be really quick with your work. are the characteristics behind many different brands. Some of them are outgoing and energetic, some are a little bit more laid back. So in this podcast, we look to explore all the different characteristics, not only of the brand itself, its roots, its origins, but the people behind the brand. And is there a bit of a relationship between the characters of the people and the characters of the brand? This episode is brought to you by Hike and Ride, the home of custom-fitted ski boots and where the ski shop comes to your front door. Book your appointment now at hikeandride.co.uk. Hike and Ride, adventure delivered. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to this part two of our conversation with Conrad Bartelski. And in this episode, we talk about his other main passion aside from skiing, which is photography. Now, Conrad shares with us some of his journeys around the globe and where he's been inspired to take some of the most incredible photographs, but also the way that he likes to perhaps not necessarily always look at the things ahead of him, but also take photographs of the things that are behind him. So if you are a skier or a keen photographer, I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. So here we are, Conrad Bartelski, part two. Obviously with your successes in 81, um, there's a, a knock-on effect uh, because of, of your continued success throughout the world of, of ski racing that allowed the BBC to continue to do Ski Sunday. And which then obviously spurred on so many other uh, people who are interested in sport. And um, I, I, I don't even know, if, was theme tune always the, the same uh, theme tune? Yeah. Has it always? Okay. But it's, it's, it's not so iconic. Yeah, no, Phil, it started in 76, really, when France kind of won the gold medal in Innsbruck. Mm-hmm. It, it was the same in the US, too. I mean, because that, that winning run was on ABC wide, Worldwide World or Worldwide Sports mm-hmm. title sequence. I mean, he. Clamour was the Tiger Woods of, of of downhill racing. You know, he took he took ski racing to to the great unwashed. And and Ron Pickering and David Fine sort of acknowledged that um, there was a, a genuine interest in that. And and they 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 thought well, wouldn't it be great if we could have a thirty five minutes. I think it was stuff with sort of highlights of, of of downhill racing in and on TV. And they chose that. Uh, not they, but the BBC chose the the famous theme tune, and David and Ron Pickering then went and reported on it. And but they could only do that because it was British interest. Um, and at, at the time, I was a British interest, and and so you know there was somebody who was racing in the top thirty in those days, and um, that that's how they sold it to the BBC. And within a very short period of time, it was being watched by big numbers. Uh, their viewing figures were phenomenal, and you know, over a period of time, it was doing better than Grand Prix racing was doing. You know, watching, but don't forget, there was you know, there's only three channels in those days, and um, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, it's pretty murky in England. And then you get these beautiful, bright blue skies with snow on the trees and everything, and the 
kamikaze skiers coming down the hill. And it's quite easy to understand how these, you know, it's not it's not a complicated sport with ten, you know difficult scoring. Yeah. And and David Vine presented in a way that was easily digestible by the British public. And and he was talking not just to skiers because there weren't that many skiers in those days. He was talking to the you know everybody sitting at home having a cup of tea before the you know they'd just gone out walking the dog come back in sat down and he just cheered them up and and he would always give the viewers enough to entice them in so they felt they were part of what they were watching he was a very clever journalist and um as a result of that i remember just after i retired i came back from a trip in it was in middle of january somewhere at gatwick airport and every carousel was full of luggage coming back from kids school kids on holiday and in the mid 80s there was quarter million school kids going from all backgrounds and this is but most of these were from state schools um and that is what filled me with the greatest pride is seeing how skiing when i started was really a privilege of people with double-barreled names and, and wealthy families, you know, parents or connections with chalets out in, in the Alps. So then seeing, you know, sons of taxi drivers and, and, and the like going out and enjoying the mountains, having the education of seeing geography firsthand, dealing with foreign currency, learning about foreign food, because traveling in those days was far more restricted. Uh, and it was just something that, that yeah, that's, the thing that I'm perhaps proudest about is seeing all those kids having the chance to enjoy skiing. And uh, I think as well, the fact that, you know, it's opened up so many eyes and opportunities. And obviously that tradition kind of continues on. And we used to think about some of the, uh, you know, opportunities and perhaps people who are less less fortunate to be able to do that. It's still, it's still nice. Obviously, we'd love to get more people out enjoying the mountains. Um, but for those people who don't necessarily get the chance to get out there all the time, and you mentioned as well in terms of on on the TV screen seeing these lovely images and and uh, you know pictures and everything like that. Your other great passion is almost recording some of the, the mountains and recording um, you know light at, at the mountains and, and images and snow and which is photography. And obviously you picked that passion up from a young age. And uh, I was wondering if you want to speak to the fact of of why you enjoy uh, the the world of photography. Well, I that. As I was saying earlier, my, my my father was a medicine hat, and and I know that because when he was there, he actually had an eight millimeter camera, cine camera, and he, he was actually filming his trip up to Banff. And you know, as the bus was driving past Lake Louise, he has black and white film of, you know, the Lake Louise mountains in the background there. Um, when he got his wings after passing his his his, his training test. You know, he's, he's got all his friends who are coming up to get his rings, and he was filming that in color. So he's also got a lot of. He's got the Calvary Rodeo that he went to see uh, in color from. You know, this is the early forties. So my father had an interest in 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 that you now filming and in uh, the whole Mamiya Flex, the ones that you look down, and he would take a lot of big um, six by six uh, pictures. You know, so he he was into his photography. Um, my grandfather was, and, and I remember my grandfather um, bought me a Kodak Brownie when I was about five or six. So I, you know, I got infected and had an interest in photography right word go. And then when I was ski racing, I'd always take a camera with me because 
Um, if we were training in New Zealand or Argentina or wherever, you know, going over racing in Whistler and places like that, you know, it was a privilege to be there. And I would take some pictures and, and if I was, for example, if I was in New Zealand, Argentina, I'd do a little repertoire for an Austrian ski magazine. They'd pay me some money, which would be cover 33% of my budget for the, for the, for the, um, training. And that's how I kept going is I'd find ways of covering the costs so we could do what I wanted to do. Um, you know, we, we weren't exactly, you know, if the bank account was black at the end of the summer, at the end of the winter, then and not in the red, then it was a, a good result. You know, that was half the battle. And, um, you, 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 uh, your signature style of photography to these days now is, is black and white, which is, is kind of unique. And I think you've said before and that you like to take the photograph in color and then you, you remove the colors. Is that how you tend to do it? Yeah. I mean, when I'm, when I go, I, I'm very much that my work is very much at the moment. So, um, it's not something that I'll, 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 I'll plan or I get up at six o'clock in the morning and say, oh, I know the sunrise is going to be there. And so we're going to go do this, got to do that. I take a camera with me in my backpack and, and it's a question of, I enjoy keep, I enjoy using my eyes and seeing where I am, what I'm doing. And I will then identify, you know, if I see something that captures my eye, then I'll go out and I'll quickly, I'll stop and quickly take a picture and move on. But I can't hang around too long because I'm with people. We're either hiking up a mountain or we're skiing down. Um, the, the, the big advantages is that, uh, if I'm skiing with a guide, and you know they're they're comfortable with the conditions. I'll ask if I can go down and take pictures of everybody as they come past me. So I get the best fresh snow, and then I'll get the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, three quarters of the way down, the guy's happy. He'll get some nice pictures of him skiing, and my friends will get some nice pictures of him skiing. And he, that's that's how I go about it. And I will shoot. You know, I shoot on on digital because um, I don't have the time to do anything more complicated than that and shooting on film you you need to use time you can't be as quick as, as you can be with digital yeah. and um then when i get back i tend to find that in majority cases just to get the atmosphere and the emotion of the place i've been in if i if, if it is in black and white it tends to resonate stronger with me um but there are exceptions to that i mean a lot of the work that i take you to the, the photography in Japan, I, I actually will leave colors in because there are such colors there, which are fairly, I'd find fairly unique. Um, and they're very subtle and delicate, like a lot of the Japanese artists and it, I'm inspired by the Japanese art on that side. And so, um, when I get back, I, I try and just reflect and want to illustrate the emotions I felt when I was there and I was skiing in Iceland and we had a, an amazing time there. I was skiing there with John Faulkner nine years ago now. We had a brilliant time there and we had fantastic snow and the conditions were brilliant as uh, sun, you know, sunny most of the time. And I had lots of really nice pictures, but it, it, when I'm looking, I was looking at them and it was better than that. It was better than the beautiful blue sky and white mountains I had. It was, it was a lot more organic and uh, ethereal than than how my pictures were. And I was at home three weeks after, and and uh, I bored one night, and I was just playing around, and I turned about thirty of them into black and white. And suddenly I realised that that yes, that's what I saw. 
it's not the, and colors can dazzle blue skies i hate i love clouds um so you know color can distract from the tones and the textures and the and, and the and the um relief and and drama than what you see when you're in the mountains and um so yeah most of my work is in black and white uh and i try to have large scale it, you know, the biggest problem is most people haven't got rooms big enough to put a lot of my work in, but the, I do love large-scale images because the detail and textures you get from them, and you see so much more the larger they are. And we spend all that time on mobile phones looking at everything. Wow, that's a cool image. That's great. But um, it's nothing when compared to seeing something printed six foot by four foot and you see the detail and texture coming out on, on from the prints quality prints it's it's um that to me is you know a photograph not something you see on a small phone is there a um obviously you do uh, exhibitions as well but um are there you know in your house do you have some of your own prints that are what's six by four that are without um that that's no that's that's uh there's only three foot by two foot mm-hmm. um but just around the corner there i've got one of japan just up here <laughs> Which is probably four foot, and there's one over there which is, uh, yes, yeah, six foot. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> um, I think you've said beforehand as well that uh, one of your one of your inspirations has been somebody like Ansel Adams. Obviously, he's from a, a long period, a long time ago. But if you could take him anywhere to share with him some photographic cations, where would you want to take him? It's. I'm not going to say that's a good question because it is a good question, but that's the that's the in in phrase. You know, when somebody asks a good question, you notice when politicians ask us a good question. You know, um, it's an interesting question. Um, Lingen Lodge, Lingen Alps, on the top of Norway, um, is the biggest surprise that I've had um, when I, when we flew up to Tromso. It's the end of April, and we flew along the spine of Norway. It, it clearly snowed all the way along the mountains the the night before, and the sun was out that day. And we flew for an hour and a half over these mountains. I'd, I'd skied in Norway before in the Lehammer, and no, it was fine. But it was all you know, fairly tame and you know, quite low and quite rounded mountains. But the further north we went, uh, the more alpine the the mountains became. And and we landed in Tromsø about eleven o'clock in the morning, and got picked up in a bus. We we got driven then go to visit my friend Graham Mostig in this lodge he just built. This is 11 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, 13 years ago. And um, we drove for about 45 minutes. We stopped to get on a ferry and they're standing on this beach and there was snow on the beach and these beautiful alpine mountains coming down to the sea. And then we got on the boat and went for half an hour on the boat and got off and drove for another round and got onto another ferry. And the landscape around there is just phenomenal. And you're actually closer to the North Pole there. Um, I mean, it's 69 degrees north um, than when I was down in Antarctica, uh, because Antarctica is such a big continent. Um, it, and yet, you know, it was 3G in those days when I first went. You know, the phone signal was better than London, and, you know, the, the roads were all good. It, you know, there's planes flying in and out, and you know, you go down to Antarctica, you're not allowed to go for a wires on the the side because they don't want to pollute it and stuff like that. You get further away from that, further away from the um, South Pole than than when when we were in Norway. Um, 
but no, that's why I because the, the colors and the okay, the, the nature there, the wilderness there, it is beautiful, absolutely beautiful, it's stunning. Um, you know, follow Lingen Lodge on, on Instagram and and you, you will have a treat. And uh, just recently, Graham posted some pictures and there's orca swimming in front of his lodge. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's incredible. And in fact, that one one of the pictures I took from that trip, um, it, it's we we got woke up in the morning because you get onto his boat. He had a, a large boat, and you get on the boat in the morning, and and he'll pick his spot to where we go ski uh, ski touring and skinning up the mountains. And we were going across the fjords, which are completely open to the Arctic Sea, and it was like a mirror. It was, I've never seen anything like it. There wasn't a riffle on the surface. And we're going across this water at 26 knots. I mean, it would have been best water skiing in the world that day. And in front of us and, and the reflections and there was one bit with it. I have the mountains reflecting into the water, which it's, it's just, it's just magical, magical. And that, that one image is what really got me into, um, doing photography in a way that um, I was wanted, which is to capture the moment. And, and it was just the start of the digital era and I sort of grew up because um, the digital era really helped me because you can be really quick with your work. And I like my skiing. And if I'm skiing with people, I don't want to be spending half an hour taking pictures, you know, and want to just, something happens great. Uh, let's move along, let's enjoy the ski and take some pictures same time. It's not that I'm going out there to take pictures. That's fair enough. That's, um, uh, as a contrast to the um, landscapes, uh, but it's still moving in the moment. Yeah, one of your other things that you mentioned, I think that you'd like to photograph is dance and ballet. Is that because it's it's very fluid, it's very natural, You have it's of the moment? Is that one of the reasons you kind of like that as well? Yeah, I haven't done an awful lot of dance, but I mean, primarily it's musical theatre because a friend of mine is is director um, of National Youth Music Theatre, and and he asked me to if I could do some pictures for him sometime. And this, he's worked with kids from six or seven years old up to twenty two, twenty three years old, and you know these kids go on to greater things. You know, people like Idris Elba and uh, Sally Hawkins. Um, the names, you know, they're big on to win Oscars. They, you know, they're great. They be, become great great um, performers um, and just working with the natural light was the th I'll, I'll shoot the dress rehearsal so nothing's set up for me and it's just brilliant um, capturing the energy of the children that we're working with a very very limited uh, light source but there are beautiful bits and pieces that you could see which are coming through that's fantastic um Talk about working with uh, obviously uh, you know different groups and everything like that. And we mentioned this before we we started recording that you've just come back from doing some work with uh, one of the charities which you you helped set up and work with, which is Backup. Um, and I was wondering if you could share with people what the charity is, what the organization is, and uh, perhaps some of your involvement. Well, it was in in 1986. Mike Nemesry, he, he was on. Um, he was he's Canadian and English, and he was on um, the Great Britain. Freestyle team uh, won World Cups for Great Britain in the freestyle, and he was on a trampoline in the summer um, down in Sussex, and he was doing some backflips on there, and he landed on his neck and um, severed his uh, 
spinal cord and was taken off to hospital and he didn't have any insurance because, uh, you know, you have insurance when you're training, but not when you're just in somebody's backyard in, in England um, that wasn't covered by that. And so a couple of us in the ski industry got together and figured out how we might be able to help him. And um, well, he'd done, he, he done uh, the title sequence of Bar the James Bond film and Barbara Broccoli came on board to help and she said, look, we'll run a James Bond film in, in, in the centre of London and you guys can go sell the tickets and the money from that can go towards Mike. We sold a thousand tickets at 50 pounds each back in 1986. So it was quite a lot of money for everybody, but everybody rallied round. And six months later, um, Mike was determined to get back on up on the snow. And so um, the experience of him skiing again, um, Lee was in a car because he, he, could he can't, couldn't use his hands or anything. So we had somebody skiing behind him on the car. Um, and um, the experience was such that he, he just wanted other people to have that same thing. Because when, when, you, when you end up in a wheelchair, the last place you expect to be is in a mountain. When you can get to the top of a mountain again and you're in a wheelchair, you suddenly realize, metaphorically, it gets people back on their feet again. And that's how the charity started. And, and um, 36 years later now, there's, you know, we're, we're, there's a fantastic mentoring program. It's Backup Trust is the charity. Um, they reach out and support the families that they help. Because often when somebody's had an accident, it's the people around them that, that really struggle seeing their children in, in losing their normal way of life. Um, we go to schools to help integrate them into schooling, everything, and 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 basically, it's 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 a service and a bridge that isn't available anywhere that um, has developed over the years. And um, we do courses so that um, you know you spend four months in hospital and then you take them out to the Lake District and they get to spend a night in a sleeping bag around a campfire, you know, under the stars instead of under in, inside a hospital. It, it just it's inspiring to those people have had the accident and also all those people around and it's it's it's, it's a pretty impressive setup and I'm very proud of the way the organization has developed it's very democratic and it's run best than most um, large businesses it's it's very efficient when lockdown came about we were we were, we were you know we'd had money set aside for a rainy day but that was more of a monsoon a month-long monsoon than a rainy day um, so there was a lot of worries you know, how long we'd be able to last out because um, all, all all events and everything were being cancelled. And the good news was that after 12 months, it was almost embarrassing, but we probably raised as much as we would in a normal year. And through Zoom meetings, we actually probably reached out and were able to provide a service to more people than we had done before. So um, because of the creativity and the um, of the marketing team, um, the endeavours of the mentoring team to reach out and continue what they're doing and the board who run back up the decisions they took meant that we actually thrived and blossomed at times and a lot of people crumbling and that's you know that made me very proud because it's um that's reflects positively on human beings and life and these days when you've got things like what's happening with um putin um blasting the crap out of people for no apparent reason um it's nice to see some good things occasionally no, definitely 
If people want to uh, get involved with it, you said, is it backuptrust.org? Is it what's the website? It would be a Jeffrey. I wouldn't even know what it is off the top. Like, I mean, I, I just don't put it in, but I can tell you. It, but it, I'll just, um, you just put backup trust in and it comes up in Google. That's what I do most of the time. But this, yes, yeah, backuptrust.org.uk. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's just an incredible organization. We just had a, um, uh, annual ball that we had up in Birmingham where we, 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 the prime, it's, it's, we raise some money there. It's not the prime reason that we do it. Um, it's just to honor the volunteers and the people who stand out who've achieved a lot for the charity over the years. And, um, to, so we honor and respect the community. And it was, it was, um, quite a crazy night. Okay, see. Well, that sounds sounds a good, probably a wonderful event. Um, speaking of events, one last question before I ask the final three is: Do you have any exhibitions coming up? Uh, do you uh, talk about your artwork or anything like that, or any ongoing uh, places where people can see some of your art? Yeah, I've got some some work up in, in the Hancock Gallery up in Newcastle. Um, he's always rotating different work around there, but it, one of the things I have to do later tonight is send up some uh, some of my new releases so you can. Um, share that with his his, his um, customers, um, his visitors, and um, then I've got another exhibition coming up in uh, just outside on uh, Frankfurt in February, which I'm looking forward to getting out in into there. And I have some of my work over the Christmas period in uh, Wimbledon Fine Art, but one or two pieces, not 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 an exhibition per se. Um, but that gallery done very well with my work. It's where I did my first exhibition and I've, I've done a couple with him now, but I still have some pieces that um, he sells uh, over the Christmas period because it's a Christmas spirit orientated there. Yeah, that was wonderful. So people can, you know, people have to book or can people just walk, uh, go in? No, I mean, you can just, you can just, you know, you can, or you go online with one of the fine art or otherwise, you know, to look at my work, you're on, online with my, on, on, on my, um, Website, which is Conrad Bartelski dot photography. So one word, one word, Conrad Bartelski dot photography. That's the, that's how you'll find me. Um, but please try and do it on a big iMac and not on your phone when you're doing it, because you might see some of the detail. She <laughs> doesn't see much on a phone. Yeah, no, definitely not. So, um, if you'd like to uh, ask the everybody our uh, our three questions, our final three questions. So if somebody was to take away a phrase or a word that encapsulates the Conrad Bartelski brand, what would that be? Thank you. Um, you know, I, 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 I feel very fortunate that I've been able to achieve what I set out to do, which is show as possible somebody from Britain could compete. Um, and, you know, there was a, a lot of people on the side, my parents, and um, who helped a lot of people that didn't help along the way. Um, in many ways, I'd say there's more people that didn't help that did help, but it's 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 the key people that helped, and it. Um, I still remember them to this day. That's wonderful. Um, what would you like your legacy to be? That's for others to judge rather than me, but um, just that nothing's impossible. You know, I I I, I, I when I started ski racing, it really said it was impossible. I had a big crash in '75 where um, I nearly. Yeah, it was a big crash. You know, I could have died. Um, it's uh, they were saying, "Well, you've had a crash now. You can't. You know, you're never going to come back from that." Um, and it took time. Um, and 
I was able to show it was possible in the end. So yeah, they just said nothing is impossible. I love it. That was wonderful. Rules are made to be broke. <laughs> I like that. Yep. <laughs> and finally, as an as an individual, who do you think a legend is and why? Um, it's not the most obvious people who are legends. You know, when uh, when Eddie the Eagle, you know, I was Eddie's first sponsor. I gave him his first jumping skis, and I'm a big were fan you, of. Were you really? That's an incredible. That's that's an incredible yeah. link there. <laughs> and and still in in touch with him. And, you know, he's a lovely guy, you know, but, um, you know, when, when Eddie was getting all the publicity after his Olympics for coming last, um, second last, because the Dutchman fell, uh, he, you know, there were people saying, well, you know, why is he getting, you know, why is there so much interest? And, you know, I, my philosophy was, well, look, Elton John gets paid millions of pads for making some music. And yet there's people working in hospitals who are saving lives. You know, they don't do get it to be paid. So it's, um, the legends to me are the people, the people who are legends know that they're legends. They've not necessarily recognized as being legends. The people who we promote as being legends are, are you know, they're, they're lucky to have that and have that opportunity. Um, so now the legends are the real people, the ones that don't get remembered and that don't get recognized who go home and sleep well at night. No, that's a fantastic answer. Well, listen, I want to thank you so very much for your time and for coming on and uh, for spending your, your evening with us. And uh, I appreciate uh, your stories and your insights. And uh, it's been wonderful to chat with you. Thank you. Phil, do you notice the, the picture behind me? You know, you've got a picture like, you know, almost the same, except yours is modern art. Mine's just a photograph. I, I, it's, got, it's got the same, you see, mine's, mine's called the path because there's a little path goes up in between those trees. Oh, yeah. What's interesting with that is that, that that was behind me. When I was skiing down in Kyrgyzstan, that forest was behind me. Um, a lot of the pictures I had, the other picture I have in the room there was behind me when I was skiing. The one picture I have up there was on the side. That one I knew about and I knew what I wanted to do because the light that we had, I never had in Japan before or after since. Um, but a lot of my photographs, they're taken not what I see in front of me is what I see behind me, which just comes back to my point about peripheral vision and using. Yeah, oh, definitely. I uh, I really like that photograph there as well. I say I I know it's a small screen for me, but uh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's even smaller, but uh, that's wonderful. If, if uh, people want to reach out, if people want to get in touch and find out more about you, obviously they can go to your website. But are you on the socials or anything that can people uh, reach out and get in touch? Conrad Bartelski, Instagram, fantastic, wonderful, wonderful. I don't got to play around with fancy names. It's complicated <laughs> enough. It's fancy enough as it is. That's wonderful. Brilliant. All right, well, I'll let you go and have a Thank wonderful you. evening. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for talking to you. Great. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends of the Brand. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Listen, drop us an email at info at legendsofthebrand.com. That's info at legendsofthebrand.com if you'd like to reach out and get in touch. And make sure to check out the show notes also at all the W's at legendsofthebrand.com. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye.